This is the Indesa Members Memo, a podcast of the National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association. Indesa is 100% member-owned and is your industry voice. This episode of the Indesa Members Memo is sponsored by Orisure Technologies. Orisure offers testing products for drugs of abuse and alcohol. The Intercept Oral Fluid Drug Test is the first and only FDA-cleared oral fluid laboratory-based drug test for the nine most requested drugs of abuse. Intercept is simple to use with an easy collection procedure and a collection time of only five minutes. While being the number one recognized brand in laboratory-based oral fluid testing since 2000, the specimen is collected on-site but is then sent to a lab for testing. Companies get the convenience and immediacy of oral fluid testing, but also solid and defensible lab results. You don't sacrifice the accuracy of reliability of your current testing program. You simply eliminate the need to collect urine. Indesa is proud to have Orisher as our first official sponsor of the Indesa Members Memo podcast. Thank you, Orisher. Check out their website at www.orisher.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Indesa Members Memo. My name is Joe McGuire and I'm the Executive Director for the National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association. And today I am really excited to interview Jackie Perone of Orisure Technologies and um, also I should say an Indesa member. So Jackie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joe. Very happy to be here with you this afternoon. Yeah, and I wanted everybody to know that we are going to piggyback a little episode off of last week's webinar, where you and Brian Feely talked um, all things oral fluid and had so much information to share with us. So before we get to that, first of all, um, I would like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, and a little bit about Orisher and what you guys do, because, well, let me also say, you're sponsors of our podcast. (laughs) True. (laughs) um, And and we have a little promo, so folks will hear that little commercial um, at some point in the podcast, but um, uh, I I always, you know, what you read on paper is so different than when you talk to someone and get to know them a little bit. Um, So let's start with you first. Um, I've known you for, I don't know, like 10-ish years, maybe almost. Yeah, I, I would say I started at Orshore a little over 11 years ago, um, so that's probably about right. Um, prior to that, I worked for Roche Diagnostics, um, and I was there for about 15 years. So all told, I'm about, I'm a little over 25 years in the drug testing industry. Wow. Um, when I started at Roche, um, I started really with, and there may be some folks that remember the old Roche on track. Um, and then we, we kind of had these test cups. So way, way, way back in the mid 1990s, um, as drug testing was just kind of really getting started from a point of care perspective, uh, we had these, these old cartridges called, called on track. It was almost like a, a lab on a cartridge. Um, and you actually mix these reagents and you had these little um, wells that you put them in and um, they were single analytes. So if you wanted to do cocaine, marijuana, and opiates, you had to do three different ones. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that, that kind of takes you back quite, quite some time. And, and then, and that was with, with a urine sample. Um, and then we came out with a product called the OnTrack Test Cup. And that was one of the first 
all-in-one integrated cups, uh, point of care product that actually you, you know, void the sample and within about five minutes you get your result. Um, and I, I could really date myself to say that all of those products way, way, way back when, I think were somewhere around 15 or $20 for one single product. Oh my uh, And now goodness. you can buy a urine cup for what, two bucks or something like yeah, that? So. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's so crazy. So you were very clearly started this job when you were what about 12 or 13 years yeah. old <laughs> yeah. there's no way that you have been in this industry for that long that just blows my mind yeah um, it's crazy so i've seen a lot including and this is you know I, i'd love to talk to people about the the uh, samsa guidelines the oral fluid guidelines yeah. uh, kind of what's going on with hair testing I remember being in one of the very first meetings back in 19, either 98 or 99, where they were talking about, um, you know, okay, let's update the urine guidelines and let's look at different methodologies. And so, yep, I've been around that long. <laughs> wow. It's, isn't it um, nuts how long it's taken and we're still not quite there. We're close, but we're, we're just not quite there. And um, I know some people get frustrated of, well, when is oral fluid? Can you tell us I mean, I get this question on a regular basis. Is it going to be this year? Can you just tell us, is it going to be this year? And I, I, I chuckle because I remember asking you that same question probably six or seven years ago, Jackie, can you just tell me, is it going to be this year? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we know better than to say, um, but but the answer to that question basically is probably not. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, for for anyone that was on the webinar, I I spent a couple of minutes kind of talking through this, and mm -hmm. it, so it's probably good to just chat real quick about it for those that may not have been on the webinar, because um, there is a lot of confusion, right? So yeah. SAMHSA actually came out uh, in October of 2019 with the updated guidelines for oral fluid. Um, and so everybody's like, okay, that's great. And they had an implementation date of January, 2020. And so I think a lot of people felt, okay, we're, we're ready to go. Labs are gonna be able to accept samples. And the reality is very much like with any urine changes that have happened, um, you know, there's, there's a time frame um, that has to evolve. There's what they call an implementation period. And from the get-go, um, anybody that really was involved with publishing the guidelines pretty much would have told you that that implementation period is probably going to be somewhere between 12 and 18 months, maybe 24 months. Um, and if everyone remembers uh, back to I believe it was 2017 when the latest version of the urine guidelines came out, they had set like a nine or 10 month implement implementation period and that got pushed back twice, I believe, and it took them closer to 15 or 18 months. And that was just with, you know, that was with urine that's been around for forever and really just with some changes. So now we're talking about oral fluid, which is a brand new set of guidelines um, sure. and a whole lot of things have to get set up. And the same is going to happen with hair. Uh, we all know that hair, uh, the, the, the draft guidelines were published not too, too long ago. Um, they're going to go through the same thing as they go through the approval process. Um, so uh, from a manufacturing standpoint, you know, I'll talk about Orshore. This goes for any manufacturers of, or, uh, of reagents, um, you know, and, and there are several of them in our industry. So Thermo, uh, as well as Alir Abbott and, and a few others. What we as manufacturers have to do is look at 
what do the guidelines say? What do they say as far as cutoff levels? What do they say as far as cross reactivity? What are any requirements of the device as an example, the oral fluid device? Uh, we know that devices must now um, include a volume indicator. They must also collect at least one mil of sample, but there's even tighter guidelines around that. Um, it can't be plus or minus more than 10% on either, either end. Um, so on and so forth. So we as manufacturers have to look at the products we currently have today, mm -hmm. look at whether they meet the, the new guidance. And if they do not, then we have to work towards changing them to meet the guidance. Um, in many cases, that means actual redevelopment. Um, if we don't have a cutoff that's correct, uh, you know, or, or as required with the new guidance document, we have to change that. Um, I believe for everyone, the calibrator and control levels actually changed. Um, they were plus or minus 50% for a very long time. They went to plus or minus 25%. Uh, and that means all of us had to change out our calibrators. And for, for many people that know a little bit about science, when you change one thing, you typically have to change another thing. Okay. So if you're changing cutoff calibrators, now you have to look at your assays and all of that. So it's a big circle kind of, you know, of, of what needs to change. And then we need to go back to the FDA um, and the FDA needs to look at everything, get the approval. Right. Um, so that's just one side of it. The other side, of course, is the labs. Uh, so the labs need to be prepared to accept whatever the new requirements are. So in this case, oral fluids. Um, many labs are set up for some oral fluids, but not necessarily you know, applying to the same regulations and requirements. For DOT. So, for DOT, exactly. Right. So right. for that reason, they've got to go back. Uh, NLCP needs to be involved. Um, there needs to be proficiency testing developed, uh, policies, procedures, guidance, SOPs. All of those things have to get set up. Right. Um, so that's the lab side of things. And then you've got just the standard, um, let's just call it protocols, the collection procedures and policies, um, any guidance documents, booklets, uh, again, SOPs, collectors, handbooks, training, all of those things. Right. So what, what will the mock test look like? What will the, what are the problems in testing that we're going to address that create the mock test like we do for urine? Will they be the same? Will they be different? Um, you, you, yeah, there's, I mean, this is a huge administrative um, process that is far more complicated than just a set of rules on a piece of paper. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and again, when you, when you think about urine testing, you know, it, it, it's a tweak here, tweak there, change. Uh, but, but everything has been set for a very long time, decades for urine. So we're recreating everything from scratch for oral right. fluid and the same will happen for, for hair testing as right. it evolves. Um, so it, it is a lot of work. Um, now I can say that uh, what, we've, what we've come to understand is they are trying as, as we move forward through the process, they are trying to keep things as similar to the urine guidance and the urine guidelines as possible. So that as people look to possibly adopt or you know additional methodologies like oral fluid or like hair in addition to what they're doing with urine it won't be so far into them mm -hmm. um you know hopefully where we get to is really the only thing that changes is the way you test what you're testing with and the way you test but everything else remains very similar and i know that that's what people are really hoping you know to to move forward with um one thing i do want to say and 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 this is all you know 
what we're talking about is really more for the feds right now. DOT has their own, and I think everyone realizes for urine, they have their own set of guidance documents. Mm -hmm. um, and so what will happen, and I know that they had, they were set to put the NPRM in, in or NPRN into place um, last spring. And I believe there was a placeholder uh, and then this little thing called COVID hit. Right. <laughs> and it turned the world upside down. Yes. And then we had an election and administration change, which turned our world a little bit more upside down. Um, so our understanding is that DOT is really trying to march towards getting their initial set of guidance documents out for public comment. Um, mm -hmm. They still hope, I think, to do that this year yet. Um, but, you know, again, the DOT marches to their own guidance. So they will take what the feds have done with the oral fluid mandated guidelines um, and they will use that as their base and they will add in any other nuances or make any changes that will go out for public comment. Uh, there'll be a period, I think it's 60 or 90 days uh, where the public can then comment on that. Uh, and then they'll look to put their final guidance document out as well. So as we kind of come back full circle to, okay, so when can we start doing oral fluids and sending samples in? We're still a ways out to your point. We are a, way, we are a ways out. And I think one of the things that is really complicating this um, confusing issue, uh, and we didn't talk about this last week on the webinar because you guys had a, you had a lot to cover in the space of that one hour um, which I totally understand, and, and probably it was best not to bring this up, but we can do it here on the webinar. Uh, I mean, sorry, in the podcast. It's very confusing to people that oral fluid was included on the new federal chain of custody form um, that was introduced last year. <laughs> um, so that made it very, very confusing for people to say, hey, wait a minute. Um, I, I cannot tell you the number of times I have been in a situation where people have said, oh no, you can do it now, it's on the chain of custody form. And they're just people who are seeing the chain and, and assuming that that means something. Um, what it means is the feds are trying to be prepared for that eventuality, but it is not yet reality. Right? Okay, exactly. And, and actually, if you go back and if you look at the urine guidelines that came out in 2017, you will note that it does mention oral fluid throughout that guidance document. Um, and kind of coming back to where, where all this was trending, um, both the urine and oral fluid guidelines were kind of sitting right next to each other, tracking so that hopefully they would release at the same time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately they did not. And so it, it caused a little bit of, of confusion as well back in 2017, 2018. Yes, well, oral fluid is mentioned in the urine guidelines, but uh, they also do very specifically state in the guidelines that you must use an approved endorsed methodology. Um, and so oral fluid at that time was not approved. So right. while it was in the guidance document, it was not something that was allowed to be used. Now that obviously is, is changing, um, right. but yeah, same, same concept as, as you were just talking with the CCF. Um, yeah, they yeah. are really trying to get things to, to be as prepared. They're trying to be as prepared as possible um, and, and that's why they included it. But you're right, it does, it, it does create some confusion out there. I was, um, I was in Oklahoma City at a um, large seminar doing a presentation on marijuana in the workplace right after their laws changed. And uh, um, a guy got a text on his phone that, that the oral fluid guidelines had been approved. And he, 
it, it, it was like this text came in on his phone and he literally stood up and and said, excuse me, excuse me, DOT just approved oral fluid collections for DOT. And I said, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true, please stop. You know, like everybody immediately went, woo. Um, <laughs> because we were talking about how to capture recent marijuana use, which I always um, do promote uh, oral fluid testing for, for employers. And so there was this like excitement at the moment, but it's just one of those things. Yeah, it's understanding, as you said, um, very well put the nuances of this pro process and, and how it actually works. There's a lot administratively that goes down on paper um, and then all of the other things that you mentioned before we ever get to that point. And I mean, one of the things I keep reminding people, the FDA does not move quickly. So when, once we get to that point, you know, we're basically at their mercy as well. So it's, yeah, thank you for explaining that. I think it will help people to understand. And this will be something I can point back to to say, go listen to what Jackie said about the process. So yeah, exactly. You, you understand it. So, but in the meantime, for non-DOT employers or employers who can utilize non-DOT testing, let's put it that way, um, I do believe, and, and we're kind of switching topics here, um, for a minute, but I do believe that recent detection of THC marijuana um, is a oral fluid, lab-based oral fluid is so helpful for employers who are trying to figure out what to do. Um, can you just mention that a little bit and, and how you guys um, at Orishore sort of present that to employers? Yep, absolutely. Um, so one of the best ways really is, is when you, you kind of look at the window of detection and you look at different methodologies across that. And we've got a really nice chart that depicts this. Um, and I think it's been used by a number of folks in the industry. I know that Quest uses it as well as a few others. Um, but it, it really helps to, to kind of cement, okay, when, when do drugs start showing up in the system versus when do they stop showing up? Um, and so if you think about kind of a time horizon, um, blood and oral fluid and breath are all in one of, basically they're all immediate or very close to immediate. Once a drug is ingested, it's gonna show up very quickly, um, typically within minutes um, for each of those different testing methodologies. Um, then as you kind of look out a little bit further, urine would be next. Um, and urine takes typically a few hours, uh, sometimes as few as two or three, sometimes as much as, you know, five, six, seven hours. Again, a lot of this is very dependent on the, you know, how a person metabolizes things. Uh, but in general, um, typically a few hours. And the reason is many of the urine tests that are out there look for the, me the metabolite, not necessarily the parent compound versus um, some of the other testing methodologies look more for the parent compound. So from a metabolite perspective, your body actually has to metabolize throughout and then, you know, excrete as, as urine. So it takes a little bit longer. Um, but the, the other side of that is it stays in the system for a little bit longer. Now I'm, I'm being general. Um, and obviously there are a number of different drugs out there and each of the drugs really has their own timetable. Um, we're talking about marijuana, so let's kind of talk about marijuana in the sense that um, marijuana is a fat-soluble drug, um, as opposed to most of the other drugs, which are water-soluble. Water-soluble drugs typically stay in your system less than a fat-soluble drug will. 
So THC is one of those problematic drugs in a way um, because it can stick around in your system a little bit longer. Um, also with, with anything, depending on the potency of what it is that you're taking or your um, tolerance to it. Um, if somebody is just using a marijuana product for the first time you know, ever, or they use it very rarely, it's gonna be in and out of your system fairly quickly, as opposed to someone that is using marijuana all of the time. It's gonna stick around a little bit longer. Um, and so for urine testing, we've seen studies which would indicate um, it could be several weeks, even up to maybe 30 days, depending on the potency, depending on how often the user you know, is using it, how long they've used it for, what their tolerance buildup is, so on and so forth. From the time um, they cease use. From the time they cease use, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then hair testing is a little bit different. So when you think about uh, your hair follicle, and, and I think most people are probably very familiar with, with what you do, you, you actually, you know, you snip a, a portion of hair. Um, it takes typically seven to 10 days for a drug to show up in the hair follicle. So from a recent use perspective, as an example, hair testing is probably not something that you would be looking at to determine, did this person use three hours ago, a day ago? Um, it's more of a lifestyle. Did they use, hair testing actually can go out 60 days, even 90 days, depending on the, the length of hair they use, but typically 60 to 90 days. Um, you know, has this person been using over a longer period of time? And hair, hair testing will give you the longest time frame possible, um, whereas, and again, coming back to urine testing, let's let's take out THC right now and look at many of the other drugs, cocaine, opiates, amphetamines, so on and so forth. Most of the time, you've only got about a two to three day window. Um, and then coming back to oral fluid, blood and breath, you're talking about, um, you know, at max one to two days for oral fluid. Breath is usually uh, hours um, and kind of same with blood. So if you're really looking for historical use, that long-term use, hair is gonna be your best bet from that perspective because it's gonna go out the longest. If you're looking for short-term, what has this person done you know, in the relatively recent past, uh, mm -hmm. blood, breath, or oral fluid, and then urine kind of sits really nicely in the middle. Um, and that's why you know, when we, we talk to people, and, and we have a phrase where it's not all or none, um, you know, a lot of, of different drug testing programs could benefit from using a mix of products. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be all urine all the time or all oral fluid. Uh, there are good reasons and rationale to mix things up, um, depending on what you're looking for. You know, post-accident, uh, you might really want to use something that's going to give you more of a, you know, okay, within the last few hours, this person has used. Mm -hmm. um, again, coming back to marijuana, we know there are a ton of states out there where it's marijuana is legal recreationally, medicinally, and it's the number one issue that we hear from employers. How can I tell, you know, this person now is showing a positive test. Are they, have they ingested recently or was this from five or six days ago over the weekend in the privacy of their own, their own home where it's legal? Right. Um, and so that really has become one of the biggest hot topics um, and, and oral fluid and or breath or blood 
are ways that you can, if you're really focused on has, has this been very recent use, um, those are really the best methods to check for. And, and, you know, I think the talking for a minute about some of the companies that have dropped or beginning to drop THC from their menu, many of them don't know that there are choices. Um, and, and I think where we get stuck is, well, I've used urine for a very long time. And, you know, as we know, this person could have, this could have been a, a, you know, an ingestion five, six, seven days ago, clearly has nothing to do with that accident that has happened, uh, right. but they just don't know that there are different testing methodologies. So I agree with you on that for sure. It is a matter of education and awareness. Yep. Yep. And, and so I think what we're seeing now is, you know, companies that, that are, they're a little bit gun shy about, you know, okay, I, I don't want to get caught in this, you know, back and forth with, with my employee. Um, and, but they don't really know any differently. So they just say, well, the easiest thing is to just not test for marijuana. Right. Uh, and, right. you know, one of the things we talked about a little bit on the webinar last week is the, the incidents that we have now seen the increasing um, drug use over the last 15 months or so with the, the pandemic actually happening. Um, and, and it's all substances, right? It's not just marijuana. We're, we're talking specifically about marijuana here, but right. opiates, uh, amphetamines, the have skyrocketed um, from a, a use perspective. The amount of alcohol that people are drinking um, has also skyrocketed. And, and part of that is, is dealing with um, you know, I'm not in my normal life, my daily life, my, my work life, my personal life. Um, I'm dealing with a, a pandemic. I'm dealing with loved ones getting very sick, possibly passing away, um, lots of things. And so people have turned to substances to make them feel better, whether that be alcohol, whether it be drugs. Um, the other thing is a lot of people, and, and while we're seeing that shift a little bit, a lot of people are still working from home if not full-time, at least part of the time, and they've got access. Um, one of the statistics uh, that, that we talked about last week is the percentage of people that are day drinking, if you will, even while right. working. Right. Um, and so as these people start coming back into the workforce, um, are they going to bring some of that quote unquote baggage with them? Are they still going to be um, you know, using these substances? And so as as we think about this from a safety at work perspective and employers, we need to be thinking about, you know, keeping everyone safe at work. And there is a statistic uh, that we've used for, for quite some time that someone that's abusing drugs on the job more often than not does harm to someone else, not necessarily yes. themselves. They're on a production line, something happens and someone gets hurt next to them. Um, and, and so those are the kind of things we've got to be thinking about as people start coming back to work, if they're using substances that could possibly impair them. Exactly. Because so often, um, we forget that safe and drug-free workplace, um, policies and the act that, that was, um, enacted by the federal government, while not applicable to everyone, but still a good idea. And while not well enforced, still a good idea. And I, I would not want to come up against that law if you violated it, right? Because they might say, well, we never really um, enforced it, but it still applies, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that whole thing came into play because of the employees who were at risk of being injured by their coworker who was under the influence. 
Um, and of course, we use it to our benefit in a lot of ways in this industry to talk about um, uh, employee rights and employers rights to test and whatnot. But the reality of it is it is there to protect the vulnerable, um, just like other employment laws that have been passed. And it's sad that it has not had a lot of teeth to it um, over the years, but it still stands, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, not enforced, but if you came up against it, you might find yourself on, on a losing side. Um, if you, if you were not, if you were negligent, let's put it that way. Right. Yep. Um, from, from protecting the, the vulnerable. You're exactly right about that. And I think sometimes employers may not um, realize that that can even apply to protecting an employee from themselves who chooses to as you said, um, you know, our new term from 2020 daydream um, in the workplace, uh, you know, it is your responsibility as the employer to educate them and make sure that they understand you are still subject to our workplace drug and alcohol policies during the workday, even if it's at your home office, um, because you're on our working hours. So oh, absolutely, um, it's like a whole new frontier. In fact, I think in September, I believe it's September, we're doing a webinar with uh, Bill Current of Current Consulting Group, who's going to talk about this very subject of what is this new um, era of work from home look like when it comes to your drug and alcohol testing policies. And I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, our, our, our world has definitely changed. Um, you know, we, it's funny, you had asked about Orshore and um, we are not even really invited to come back to the office. Uh, our primary office is on the East Coast in, in Pennsylvania uh, until July. Um, wow. Yeah. And so for, I'm remote. I, I live in Indianapolis. So I was used to flying in and into the office at least once a month. I haven't been there since February of, of 2020. Wow. Um, and it is, it is kind of crazy um, when you think about it. Uh, but but we also have to be thinking about kind of what does what does the new work reality look like? Um, you know, we've got we've got certain percentage of people that are vaccinated, um, but a certain percentage are not. Um, and you know, the timing of this is real good. I just heard last night that uh, I know our president was hoping that seventy percent of the population would be vaccinated prior to the Independence Day holiday. And it doesn't look like we're going to get there. Um, at the same time, we've got this new Delta variant uh, that just keeps doubling as far as um, its presence every week or so. So I think we're now up to 20% of the cases are now the, the Delta variant. Um, and then we think about the flu season, which last year was essentially non-existent. Uh, and part of the reason was we were wearing masks, we were sanitizing, our hygiene was better, and many of us were not going back to work. Um, and so now we don't have masks. Um, I would dare say we're probably not as vigilant uh, um, as, as we were in the past uh, about, you know, washing our hands and, and everything else and using Clorox wipes. Um, and we're going to be back in person with people. Um, and so you have to kind of wonder what the fall is going to bring as far as um, what our workplaces look like. And, and one of the things that we've been sort of thinking about is if you've got, you know, most of my day is spent on the phone on <laughs> Zoom calls. Um, but if you're in a conference room and you still have to social distance to some extent, and you can only fit half the people in that conference room that you did before, and some of you then are going to have to Zoom in anyway, doesn't make sense for a lot of people to be coming into the office 
when you right. can just take those calls from home. Sure. Um, and, and of course, the, and you know, I'm not talking about production jobs and things like that. I mean, certainly those people, um, those, those types of jobs, they've actually been working through much of the pandemic. But for many of us who have a, you know, let's just say a, a desk job, if you will, um, what does that mean for us? Will we be going back into the office and, and what does that look like? Um, and I, you know, I, I think we all have to, as employees and employers have to think about, you know, how do we, how to return safely back to work? And um, I think COVID, COVID flu is, you know, going to be a hot topic as well for all of us. And, oh, I agree. you know, what, what does that mean from an employer's perspective? And part of what we talked a little bit last week is, you know, do I, do I, as a, an employer have the right to vaccinate? Can I mandate vaccines? Um, you know, we just saw 153 people get released from Methodist Hospital in Texas because they refused and uh, the state actually sided with the employer on, on that side. Um, and so how is that going to impact us? How is testing going to impact us? Um, when we, you know, we think we've been talking about drug testing, but what about COVID testing? Are employers going to mandate COVID tests as people Thanks. come back in? So speaking of that, you guys do some, um, you're in the world of COVID testing to a degree, um, which you can tell us about that as well. But um, are you seeing that employers are, are employers ordering your test kits because they are requiring, what are you guys seeing? Yeah, so I think, you know, when you, when you think about COVID, there's really two ways to think about it. Am I actively infected and have I previously been infected? Um, and so from an active perspective, um, I think we, yes, we are definitely seeing employers and, and, and I mean employers all in the sense of employers, including let's say cruise ships and airlines um, because they clearly, as we start getting back to traveling and wandering across the globe, um, we have to think about who are we, you know, who are we close with that or being close with that might be infected that could harm us. Um, and so absolutely, we're, we're seeing that as a condition of um, return to work, if you will, or return to society. Um, you know, we're now seeing, you know, again, cruise ships, you cannot step foot on a cruise ship. Um, I think for most of them, I, I, there, there may be some that don't require, but most of the ones I've seen in order to set sail, you must prove that you have had a negative COVID test. Right. Um, right. And so, you know, and, 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 and you look at that from an employer perspective, which is all of my crew has to be um, negative, they have to be vaccinated, and they have to be negative. And they test, they are continually testing, continually testing these folks. Um, and so we're also seeing the same thing in, in a lot of different industries as well. Um, you think about meatpacking plants, uh, and, and places where people are production where they're close to each other. Um, if, if you can't tell, and, and I think we're, we're less than 60% of the population, probably closer to 50% is vaccinated. Um, if you can't tell, you know, if, if only one out of every two people is vaccinated and you're not sure who is and who isn't, the best way to know and to continue to keep everybody safe is to continue what we've been doing, temperature checks, asking questions, and testing if, if need be especially in situations where people are working very closely together. Um, mm -hmm. Think about last summer, last fall, how many you know, meatpacking plants ended up closing because yeah. 50, 60% of their population ended up getting COVID. Um, we don't wanna repeat that. And with right. the Delta variant being as 
um, infectious, we believe, much more infectious, and also um, it, it, it makes you sicker. Um, we don't want to take any chances. And I think, you know, as, as I talked before about flu testing, it's going to be very interesting as we get into flu season, because flu and COVID act very similar to each other. Right. And will an employer be able to tell the difference between someone who just has a cold or the flu and someone who might have COVID? Um, so I think we're also going to see testing ramp from that perspective as well. Um, you know, someone who's not feeling well is going to go get a COVID test. If they're COVID negative, they may even reflex to a flu test just to see right. which one it may be. So I think from an active COVID pers perspective, um, yeah, we're absolutely seeing that. And, and, and we can we believe that's going to continue to happen. Um, the antibody test is, is a little bit interesting. Um, so I think in, in the beginning, you know, last spring, summer, people thought that by looking at antibodies, you'd be able to tell immunity levels um, and it would be a great return to work test. Okay, you've got antibodies. That means you're safe. You can't get COVID. Come on back to work. Um, and we just don't know enough to be able to equate antibody and immunity at the same time. For um, sure. I mean, it's amazing that we even have the tests that we do have in such a short period of time. Yeah, really. Exactly. It's considered because, I mean, my, my, my brain, maybe the emotional side of me went to, um, so are you working on the Delta variant? But, oh my gosh, it's so new. These things take time. And, uh, you know, how fast can we replicate um, these things? It's just, um, it's so challenging. And I have a lot of admiration and, and just deep respect for the ability um, of, of um, you know, places like Orchard to even create the test in the first place that we currently do have. It's, it, it really is a modern miracle, to be honest. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the fact that all of the vaccines to date have effectiveness against all of the variants that are currently out there, including the Delta variant. Um, you know, I, I think when, when you think about the timing of the vaccines and, and as they were going on, you know, back in the summer, we had the UK, the UK variant, the Brazil variant, um, and to some extent, because the clinical trials were happening over the summertime, um, they were, all of them were lucky enough to be able to know whether they would effectively work against those variants. Uh, but this Delta variant is, is new. Um, and, you know, the, the three vaccines that we have approved here in the U.S., as well as AstraZeneca, uh, which is not approved here, but in many other countries is, um, that, that variant wasn't around. Um, nice. So lucky for us, it's like the other ones enough that it is captured. Um, so hopefully any new variants that we see continue to be in that vein and the vaccines as well as the tests continue to work. Um, but wow, that's just such great information that, that you're sharing. I really appreciate it. This has just covered a huge gamut of information and I know that you have another call coming up, so I don't want to um, run too long into that, but I do want you to be able to talk for a minute about Orisher, because I realized as we kind of jumped into the conversation about DOT testing and all of these other things that I really just kind of didn't give you a chance <laughs> to, <laughs> to really even tell us a little bit about Orisher Technologies. You are, um, or your company is so valued in the industry. You do 
so much for education and um, all of the things that you guys put out there as far as materials, um, awareness, uh, presentations that, that you give, webinars. I, I mean, you're just all over this. You are not just, you guys aren't just sitting around creating um, devices. You are really engaging in keeping workplaces and communities safe, which is why I love that you're a member of Indesa because our missions just overlap and we have similar values. Can you talk a little bit about where that comes from for Orishore Technologies? Yep, absolutely. So um, just for those that don't know, Orishore has been around for uh, 25 years, 26 years, uh, some, somewhere in that range. So the, the Intercept drug test, which is what we're probably most known for, has been around since the late uh, 1990s. Um, prior to that, we actually had a product in the life insurance space, which we still sell today, um, to help agents not only detect if somebody is smoking or um, using drugs, but also has uh, HIV. So for those that don't know, um, not only are we involved on the drug testing side, uh, but we do a lot of infectious disease um, testing as well. So HIV, uh, hepatitis C are really two of our, our flagship products. Um, we also have an Ebola product um, and wow. we, had, we, we had been working on Zika until Zika sort of became non-existent. Um, one of the things, and, and you talk about education, um, we, we do a lot of work, not just educating the general public, but working with public health agencies and the CDC. Um, and so the CDC came to us when uh, Ebola first, you know, I get not first started because that was back in the 70s, but one of the, the last flare ups that was really big in 2016, I believe it was, and said, hey, you guys have this great HIV and hepatitis C point of care test. Could you design something very similar for Ebola? Um, and so we, we did, and we did the same from a, a Zika perspective um, because we, Orshore is really seen as helping the community. Um, and so where, where we come from, from an educational perspective is educating to make sure people know that they have choices. Um, you know, when you think about HIV, we are the, the at this point in time, the only over-the-counter oral fluid-based HIV test available that you could buy at Rite Aid or Walgreens or anything like that. Um, and so that's, you know, that we, we really try to help the community um, as best as we can. Um, and so, again, that's kind of where a lot of the COVID um, test, ha testing mm -hmm. has come from. Um, when, when you think about how we can help humanity, and I hate to say it that way, but you know, how can oh, you help, true. help your absolutely. fellow man? Yeah. Um, that's a lot of what Orishore is about. And so that bleeds into what we do on the drug testing side as well, which is really educating people um, you know, ab about drug abuse, about different ways to detect drugs, um, you know, and people have asked me, you know, I've been in this business more than 25 years, what, how did you get into this business? And my answer usually is, or it always is, I would have to say, I've seen too many people impacted by drugs and drug use, family members, um, friends, and if I can do something to help one person get, you know, get their lives straightened out by educating them, um, then I have done my job. 
And right. I'll kind of close with that. I mean, that for me, this is, it's not just a, a job. You put it, you, you said it very well. It's not just a job about selling devices or tests. It's about educating people. It's about awareness. Um, and, and that's what Orashore does on, on many different fronts, uh, not, not just drug testing. So if people would like to get the newsletter that you guys put out, um, you do some marijuana education, you do some other things. How do they, how do they go about doing that? Is that only for your customers or do you have like a public listserv? Nope. That that's for anybody. Um, so, uh, it, they can certainly send me an email, um, uh, J Perone, J P I R O N E at orashore.com. Um, and I would be more than happy to get them on our, our list and, and send out. We do, we do put newsletters out quarterly. Um, there's a variety of different topics. Um, as Joe mentioned, we do webinars. We try to do them two times per quarter, so about six times a year. Uh, plus, we do industry webinars as well. We just did one for Andesa last week. Mm -hmm. um, and we're at, you know, all the, the conferences. Um, so you can, you can find us usually in a variety of different places. But yeah, any, any of our educational information, um, just, just tag me and I'd be happy to get it to you. Awesome. And that is Jay Perone, P-I-R-O-N-E at O-R-A-S-U-R-E dot com. Yep. Jackie, thank you so much for spending time with us today. You, This has just been amazing and so informative. I know that I'll get some great feedback on this one, but also, like I mentioned, I'll use it to point people back and say, anything you want to know, go listen to that podcast episode. <laughs> um, it's been wonderful. Thank you for your time. And um, if you ever want to do it again, let me know, because I'm sure we barely scratched the surface. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, Joe, and have a great afternoon. You bet. And for those of you who are listening, don't forget to like and subscribe the Indesa Members Memo and share it with your colleagues, because we always have something to teach. And as we are, um, you know, as we all know that we're better together when we are experts um, in our craft and that we can give correct information to people that we serve. Thank you all so much for joining us this episode. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Indesa Members Memo. Subscribe to hear all of our podcasts and join Indesa to access all of our professional industry resources. Visit us at ndasa.com.